You can have a seat. Thank you. A couple of announcements real quick. I want to make you aware of a few things that are coming up. Again, if you were not here earlier, please come by and get a magazine or open windows. They're all located on the table to my left, your right, uh, with a black tablecloth. And if you um, still need to give your tithe for today, uh, you can place that in the wooden box that's there. But again, thank you for your giving and your faithfulness uh, to our church. A couple of things, uh, the snowbird deposits of $50 are due today for our youth. So if you're planning to go to camp, if you'll please go by and see Kevin Knight today uh, and get that settled. Next Sunday is June the 7th, and it is Graduate Sunday. So we've got a very special day planned. Uh, you're a graduate, you're going to be surprised with a few things, and we've got some exciting things planned. Kevin has gone all out 
uh, to make that day a very special day for you and your families. And so we're making uh, some adjustments that day so family can come and be a part of, this, of the live service. We're asking those that do not have graduates, if you would watch from home, uh, if you'll help us out by making more space in the sanctuary uh, so grandparents and extended family can come be a part of that live service. We would greatly appreciate that. We'll start at the regular time of 10:15. It'll be on our webpage or on Facebook Live or on sermons.net. And so we want to ask you to go watch from there. And we want to encourage you because there's a lot of great things planned for that day to be a part and be supporting our seniors. You know, they've, they've had a lot of things taken away from them this year uh, with the COVID-19 uh, problem and a lot of their graduation ceremonies that had to been changed around. So some of them, this may be the only time they walk across a platform in their cap and gown. And so we want to make it a very special day for them and their families here at our church. And so we thought we would plan that for them and that our church family would be understanding to watch from home. So please help us with that. And we're excited about that next Sunday. Also, uh, graduates, if you'll be here at nine o'clock ready uh, with your cap and gown ready to go uh, next, next Sunday. Then on Sunday, June the 14th, we'll go back to our regular morning schedule of 1015 and we'll be in a dual format where our seniors and anyone with a compromised immune system will be in the sanctuary. Everyone else we ask to meet in the core, uh, and we still will uh, stream that live. So if you want to still want to be at home and watch that, uh, you can do that on June the 14th. And then that evening from 5 to 8, we've planned a churchwide picnic over at Cedar Grove Camp, which is in Kannapolis. Uh, again, it's Cedar Grove Camp from 5 to 8. And if you'll do like you've done today, bring your food. If you like to have a tent, you can bring that or a folding chair. And we'll have our services out there again from 5 to 8. There's volleyball. There's a field out there. You can bring your cornhole. Uh, we're hoping that the water park may be open. So if you would like to go uh, bring your bathing suit just in case, uh, you can be a part of the water park uh, that's out there. So make plans to be there for that event. A lot of exciting things coming up. We're glad, again, that you're with us today. And I think today's been a great turnout. So thank you for being a part uh, of this. This time, Kevin's coming for our scripture reading. Oh. <coughs> Scott wanted me to mention, and I see Brandon Brooks out here. Brandon, stand up and wave at us. Uh, Brandon's one of our uh, young adults. Also, is Katie Cloyce here or Brad and Karen here? Way in the back. Is Katie here? Katie's not here. Okay, uh, some of you know Katie Cloyce. Two days in a row, I guess it's been about a week and a half ago, two days in a row I got a request from the IMB uh, as a covenant uh, partnership to recommend these two individuals uh, to go and be a part of being a full-time missionary through our IMB. That's amazing. Uh, you're going to be hearing more from them. But I want to ask our church family to begin even now praying for Brandon Brooks and Katie Cloyes uh, as they prepare to go and be trained in Virginia and then head out to their respective fields uh, to begin praying for them. You'll be hearing more about that in the future, uh, but if you remember Brandon Brooks and Katie Cloyes to be praying for them. Scott reminded me to want to say that. Kevin, you come for our scripture reading. Listen to the words from scripture from Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 to the end of the chapter. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray together. Would you bow? Father, we read in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that if we will repent of our sin and acknowledge you and return to you, that you will heal our land and you will move in our midst. Father, our nation is so divided and filled with, with hate and troubles right now on so many fronts. We pray that you would forgive us and return our hearts to you. Lord, the church has not been the salt and the light that you've called us to be. Forgive us. Forgive us for when we are poor examples. Lord, forgive us when we have cold and complacent hearts. Forgive us for living too much like the world and loving the things of the world. God, we want to ask you today to send a revival to your church across this land. Lord, stir our hearts again. May people come to you in faith and repentance. May your people love you, and glorify you, and worship you, and serve you. Lord, may we come to the end of ourselves and be surrendered to you in all that we are and all that we have. Lord, we pray that these days of unrest would be days that people would seek you. We hear reports from publishing companies of more Bibles being sold right now than anything they've seen. We stand on that promise in Isaiah that your word will not return unto you void. Lord, as people open your word and read your word, may your spirit speak to them and do in them what only he can as he draws them to Christ. Lord, as we see these brothers and sisters baptized today, remind us of what baptism symbolizes and the commitment and surrender we were making in our own hearts. Use this service today for your glory. Lord, be a shield and a refuge for all who are hurting or in need. And God, we pray for leaders in our country and our churches at all levels that you would be with our leaders and give them wisdom from above. That they might lead in ways that are pleasing in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet again as we...
proclaim together the saving grace of our God. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we're gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your Yeah. 
seated. Amen. It is wonderful to look out on this crowd today from my perspective. If you could be up here and just see the number of our folks who have come out. Uh, you know, outdoor services like this, such a rich history in our country. I think of some of the early awakenings. Men like George Whitfield that God used mightily. It's said that those men could preach in open air fields to crowds of 10 and 15,000 people at one time in the days before any type of microphones. I don't know how they did it. It was amazing. In fact, there are reports that crowds would even be up to 20, 25,000 people and they could project and be heard just fine. But uh, such a rich history of coming out together in the outdoors. Kevin mentioned your giving, how strong it's been. I want to commend you again for your giving to our North American missions. Not only did you meet the goal, you far exceeded the goal. I think the uh, giving to date is up, getting kind of close to about 50000 on that goal. So thank you again for how you have supported uh, not only the work of our church, but beyond the work of our church. If you have a Bible this morning or you have a mobile device uh, with the Bible on it, if you would find Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Let's Work It Out. And I want to address the baptismal candidates this morning, but I want to address everybody through this message. Philippians chapter 2. Can everybody hear okay? Is it, is it sound, sound good? Okay. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Boy, our nation needs that right now, don't we? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Craig Barnes is a pastor in the D.C. area and he writes about a story of growing up in a pastor's home. Craig says that when he was a child, there was a day that his dad brought a young man into the house, a man by the name of, a young man by the name of Roger. Roger came into their home as a foster child and then the family adopted Roger. You see, Roger had come out of a home of drug abuse, cocaine and heroin and alcohol abuse and both of his parents 
had died of overdoses. And all Roger knew in his home was violence and hatred, profanity, and division. That's all he had ever seen. And this family came around Roger and they loved him. And from time to time, Roger would do things and they would have to remind him, Roger, we don't act that way in this family. You're a part of a new family now. Roger didn't work his way into that family. He was brought into that family as a gift of grace. But slowly over time, Roger began getting the message and Craig said it was amazing to watch that young man's life, the way he was transformed. You know, I think the Lord would say to us, say to us a lot as Christians, you don't act that way in my family anymore. Amen? We're to be different than what we see in the world. And Paul has been talking to the Philippians about that, the change that ought to be seen in God's people as we shine like lights in a dark and divided world. What we see in this passage is a wonderful balance that runs all through the Scripture. Divine sovereignty on the one hand and human responsibility on the other hand and how we affirm both. The initiative in salvation is always God's. God has accomplished our salvation. But this does not mean that we sit back and forget about the needs of the world that we live in and about our own commitment to Christian growth and action. And so man is to respond to God's grace. We're saved by God's grace and not ourselves. But we respond to God's grace with obedience and changed lives. And that's what this passage is all about. Again, I want to speak to the baptismal candidates about this, but all of us. I want to encourage you to think back to those days of your own baptism. What we see first of all today is the response to grace. Look at what Paul says in verse 1. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want to point out to you that Paul does not say here, work for your salvation. But instead he says what? Work out your salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The scripture says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. These are already saints he's talking to. He's clarified that in chapter 1. They're already saints who've been saved by the grace of God, come to faith in God, and God has begun a good work in them. Folks, we don't experience salvation by purifying our own hearts or by perfecting our own lives or even by performing certain duties 
but we're saved when we repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ. God draws us through the power of His Spirit, convicts us of, His, of our sin, and draws us to Christ, and we look to Him and Him alone, and He saves us. It's His work. It's not our work. It's His work that saves. And so what does Paul mean here by saying work out your own salvation? As one scholar says, we are to work out what God has already worked in. Folks, just because salvation is by God's grace and it's a free gift does not mean that you and I have no role to play in the Christian life. He talks about that in Romans 6 also. Should we just go on in sin if, if grace abounds, where sin abounds? We just go on abounding in sin so that grace will abound all the more? And what's Paul say to that? God forbid. We're to live changed lives now because we're a changed people. And let me give you some word pictures when Paul says here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some of the word pictures used of this that would describe events at the time. Let's say that you owned a mine, a mining field, where there were diamonds or precious stones of whatever type deep in the earth in those mountains or hills. The diamonds were there. The precious jewels were there. And you owned them because it was your field that you had purchased. But what would you have to do? You would have to get the equipment and you would have to work that mountain or that field to get the jewels out. Or a farmer that already owns a field, he has to plow it. He has to plant the seed. He has to watch over it and finally harvest it. The field's already his, but he has to work it out to get the crop out of it. That's the image of what Paul's getting at here. The fact of the matter is that upon the moment of our salvation, none of us were what we needed to be. Now true, we were at that moment a new creation in Christ. We were just as saved from the first moment we believed as we will ever be. But in terms of maturity, we weren't there yet. We're still not there yet. As long as we're in this flesh and part of a fallen world, we always have a lot of growing up to do. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about this potential in us. Folks, Jesus Christ has not only saved you from something, but He has saved you for something. Amen? You know, Satan has a number of lies he tells us. Before we're saved, he'll tell us, work your fingers to the bone. And maybe one of these days you'll be good enough to be accepted by God. Well, when we wise up to that and discover salvation is a gift of God through His grace and we come to faith in Him, then Satan comes along with another lie to the new Christian, right? Now that you're saved, 
just sit back saved and satisfied and you don't need to grow or do anything. Satan's a liar. The book of Hebrews says, What shall become of us now if we neglect so great a salvation? We've got to be in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers. We've got to be discovering our own spiritual gift and, and developing that in the body of Christ, using it and living a holy and consecrated life. 1 Peter 1.13, God says, Be holy even as I, the Lord your God, am holy. I spoke at the beginning about this message being for the baptismal candidates. Let me talk to you a moment about how seriously the early church took baptism and the start of the Christian life and applying Christian principles to work out your salvation. In the first couple of hundred years after the apostles, first several hundred years of the church, some things they did. Now, we wouldn't agree with all of this, but the point is I want to show you how seriously they took this business that we're about today. How seriously they took living a consecrated life. It was generally believed that once you were baptized into the church, you were allowed one lapse in judgment or fall into sin. One. That's it. But beyond that, if you continued to live with a cavalier or careless attitude towards sin and obedience to God in your life and didn't show seriousness in your Christian growth, you were to be put out of the church. One lapse. Once you went through the baptismal waters, you were expected to follow Christ with a whole new seriousness. It's not that they didn't believe in continual forgiveness because we do have that, thank God. They simply believed that it was inconsistent for a genuine believer to allow purposeful sin to continue in any way in their life. They took it so seriously, in fact, a number of them would put off their baptism to their elderly years just before they died because they were afraid of sinning again after they were baptized and so they wanted it to be at the end of their life. They wouldn't allow some people in some professions to be baptized. If you were in any profession that had any question of morality about it, you could not be baptized into the church. Even soldiers and magistrates could not be baptized into the church because you might have to kill somebody after you've made that declaration of following Christ. Now again, we think that's a misunderstanding of Romans 13 that gives to those powers those, those rights. If you were a sculptor or an artist, and once you, once you were baptized, you could not sculpt anything or do any artwork that again, any type of morality in any way could ever be associated with it. Their baptisms were oftentimes segregated between the genders because as they were baptized, they would strip off all of their clothes 
to symbolize the old life being laid aside. And they would be baptized, and after their baptism, they would be clothed in a clean white robe, symbolizing that new life. You were to be baptized in cold water if possible. If not possible, warm was okay, but it was to be in cold water. And it was to be flowing water if possible. I think the candidates this morning will be grateful that it is warm water. But the early church would have frowned on us heating the water up. Again, all this to simply point out how seriously they interpreted this and how seriously they took it that once you entered these waters and you came out of these waters with all of your heart, your body, your soul, mind, everything you thought about, everything you said, everything you did, you were to live as a new creation in Christ. What would they say to the church today? What do you think these early Christians would say to the church today? Because let's admit it, oftentimes we are sort of cavalier, aren't we? Notice he says they're to work out their salvation with fear, a reverential fear of God. Such fear recognizes there's no, no place whatsoever of any trust that we, that we put in ourselves. A fear of a holy God and, and of our inadequacy. And our propensity to fall back into sin apart from His strength and grace. Paul lived with that kind of fear. He said, I beat my body. I keep it in subjection and discipline lest after I've run the race. Talking about his rewards, he might be found disqualified. He didn't fear losing his salvation, but he did fear losing reward. Not only with fear, but he says with trembling. Why with trembling? Why such fear and trembling? Because it is God who works in you. Folks, Paul is wanting them to understand the magnitude of what has transpired in their lives. When we're talking about the fact that we've been saved from a devil's hell and forgiven of all of our sins and we now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we're talking about things that absolutely ought to stagger our minds. That God in His grace has made us a part of all of this. Amen? Folks, does it ever make you fear and tremble that you could have gone through your life never heard the gospel? Grown up in some area, maybe you didn't even have access to the gospel or missionary telling you about Jesus. Again, Paul just wants them to understand the magnitude of what's happened in them, what God's done. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the only appropriate response to grace. Secondly, the root of grace. Look at what he goes on to say. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in accord in order to fulfill His good purpose. God works in us. We think for a moment about how God works in the world. He worked in creation. God works in the nations. 
You know, Habakkuk didn't like it that God was going to use a less righteous nation to judge a more righteous nation. God works in nations, works in creation. He works in the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In the book of Acts, Acts tells us the Lord added to His church day by day those who were being saved. The Lord works in His church. But Paul wants to point out to you and me that God works in you as well. As James Montgomery Boyce states, if there were a John the Baptist in every single generation, yet that fact alone in and of itself would not save a single soul. He goes on to write, If God could line all the stars up in the heavens at night to spell out clearly to everybody on planet earth, John 3.16, written in the stars, that fact alone would not save anybody. The Spirit takes God's Word and works in your heart and convicts a lost person of their need of Christ and of the reality of their sin and draws them to Christ. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless my Father's Spirit draws him. It is God's work in us. If you're a Christian, God has done a work of grace in you. Folks, think about that. Dwell on that. And as Paul says in Philippians 1.6, He who hath begun that good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. God works for His good pleasure, he goes on to say here in verse 13. God is at work in you to conform you to the image of His Son. Sometimes He brings about His purposes in us through blessings, sometimes through trials. But His work in us is always for His good pleasure. God has a plan for your life. God's pleasure is to see His children saved and living holy to glorify Him. If you're a parent, you've gotten pleasure out of parenting and seeing your children grow and develop and mature. When God works in us and saves us and we mature and respond to His work, and live lives of holiness and obedience and service, and we bring glory to Him, we bring Him pleasure. Paul says God works in us for His good pleasure. And then finally, the reflection of grace. Beginning there in verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of Christ. He says here, reflecting God's grace, we ought to do what? We ought to do all things without grumbling or complaining. John MacArthur points out, modern Western society is by far the most prosperous culture in the history of mankind. Except for the very poor, people have all they need and much of even what they want, and yet we're still not satisfied. 
We are arguably, he writes, the most discontented society ever. As the economy has become increasingly richer, people appear to be more discontent and complain more about everything. Adding to that discontent are the fantasy worlds of movies and television and advertising, the media to create dissatisfaction, continually assault with the intent that the senses are allured and often unrealistic images have been described or painted as a plastic perfection. That's the kind of culture we live in. Abundance and yet no contentment. And what do people do? They complain and divide and argue. The children of Israel were that way after being brought out of Egypt. All they'd seen God do. They got out in the wilderness and immediately what they began doing, grumbling against Moses and Aaron and even grumbling against God. God had just saved them out of over 400 years of slavery and delivered them. He's going to make a new people out of them. They started grumbling. They died off in the wilderness. They did not get to inherit the promised land. James warns us in the New Testament, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door, grumbling and complaining demonstrate a lack of trust in what God's doing. A lack of trust in His providential care and the way He's working out His purposes in our lives. We're to avoid sins of the attitude like grumbling and complaining that show disregard for God. And then Paul says, live in the light. Prove yourselves children of God. Underscore that phrase there. Prove yourselves children of God. Children of the light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Blameless and innocent. Folks, if we're no different than the world, then we'll have nothing to show or prove to the world. We'll have nothing to tell the world in our message. If we're no different from everybody in the world, then we just show that we're part of a crooked and perverse generation that knows not God. But by being different and living holy lives in the light, we show that God has done His work of grace in us. In other words, lifestyle bears witness to the reality of profession. It's a common theme in the Bible. We're not saved by works, but works demonstrate that we have been saved. It's time to live in the light. It's time to grow up. It's time to demonstrate God's work of grace in us. And Paul says as a part of that, hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast. God's Word, hold it fast in this age in which we live.
One of the most beautiful pictures of doing that was given by a pastor of a past generation by the name of Halford Luckett. He was visiting a hospital one day to see a parishioner in New Haven, Connecticut. When a man came running out of a hospital room with a chart that was on the end of a patient's bed, came running down the, the hallway with that, grabbed this stranger, this pastor by the arm, and said, Look, look, her fever's gone, it's gone. And the man continued to run down the hallway just grabbing people. Look, look, her fever's gone. Luckett said he didn't know who the man meant by her, but he instantly knew it had to be somebody that was very dear to that man. He said he'd never forget the spectacle of a man so overwhelmed with good news that he was grabbing strangers and announcing good news to them. That's how we're to be in this dark world. Holding fast to the word of life. Let me ask you to bow your heads. This morning, when you read these words, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work out what God's worked in. Have you been saved by His grace? Has there been a point in time God's convicted you of your sin and need of Christ through the power of His Spirit and drawn you to faith in Jesus? Have you been born from above, born anew? You see, religion's not enough. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. Have you been born again? If not, today, say, Lord, would you do your work of grace in me. And tell one of us before you leave today, I've prayed and asked God to do that work of grace in me, to begin His work in me. If you know you've been born again, think about your life since your baptism. Does your life, your attitude, your words, your lifestyle, does it demonstrate that you're working out the salvation that God has worked in? Why not make a commitment today? God, get me back to that business because that's your business. May I reflect your work that you've done in me. May it be clearly seen and known in my life through my attitude my gratitude my words my actions the way I live for you Lord thank you that you've called us to be a holy a distinct a different people till Jesus comes in His name we pray. Amen. We're going to ask the two Kevins, Pastor Knight, Pastor Seeger, if they'd come forward and the baptismal candidates.
This morning we'll have Glenn Griffin, Dolores Griffin, Anthony Griffin, and Alex Griffin, and then Caleb Ford, Michaela Daly, Benjamin DePauli, Caitlin Hall, Nicole Dysert, Charlotte Olmstead, and Gil Olmstead. What a great day. And as they come forward, amen. Let me tell you a little bit about the Griffins, Glenn and Doris and Anthony and Alex. Now, uh, Glenn and Doris are not new believers. Uh, Doris grew up in a different tradition and is coming today for baptism by immersion. Let me say a word about Doris. She grew up in Venezuela. Her family's still in Venezuela because of some of the troubles in Venezuela and travel visas and all that. They can't even go to see her family and her family can't even be here to see her. They hope that that will be able to be possible someday. But uh, as I say, she's not a new believer uh, coming today for baptism by immersion. Glenn has been uh, previously baptized, but he said, you know, I want to take that stand today also with my family being baptized by immersion. Now today their sons Alex and Anthony, today is the day that they're making their faith public for the first time through believer's baptism. But they're coming as a family. Normally we have a husband and wife get in the tub at the same time, get in the baptismal tub. I don't think we're going to be able to do that. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to start out with Glenn believing that uh, the scripture says that the man is to be the, the Christian leader in his household and set the example. Do you know that Jesus is Lord and he is the Lord of your life? Yes. Then upon your profession of faith and in obedience to our Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Continue to pray for Glenn. He, uh, he just lost a brother, a brother in his 40s, lost him unexpectedly, uh, sudden heart attack. So continue to pray for this family. Doris. <laughs> she says it's cold. So we've, we've gone by the regulations of the early church, right? <laughs> Doris, do you know that Jesus is Lord and He is the Lord of your life? Yes. Then upon your profession of faith, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of His death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Amen. <laughs> Next, we have Anthony. Anthony, do you know that Jesus is the Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Then upon the profession of your faith and in obedience to our Lord's command, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. 
you know Jesus is Lord, and is he the Lord of your life? Yes. Then upon your, the, your profession of faith and in obedience to our Lord's commands, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in his baptism and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Amen. I, I, failed, to, I failed to introduce him through the sound system, Alex. Folks, I want you to think about this a minute. Glenn, Doris, Glenn, Doris, Anthony, and Alex remind you of a family baptism in the book of Acts, amen, where we read that whole households were baptized. Coming next, we have Caleb Ford. Caleb came to Christ at home, speaking with his parents, and then he followed that up by coming to church and speaking more with Kevin Knight and surrendered his heart and life to Christ. Caleb, do you know that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes. Then upon your profession of faith, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother Caleb, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Amen. Next we have uh, Michaela Daly. Less than a year ago, um, after Awana one night, Michaela was under conviction and spoke with Chris Edgerton, and she surrendered her life to Christ. Michaela, is your public profession of faith that you believe in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Yes. Then upon your public profession of faith and upon his divine command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in the likeness of his death. Raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. We have Benjamin DePauli coming. He made a decision for Christ at camp. And then I had the privilege of speaking uh, with Benjamin, and he has surrendered his life to Christ. Ben, is it your public profession of faith that you believe that Jesus is Lord and Lord of your life? Yes. Then upon your public profession of faith and upon his divine command, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. We have Caitlin Hall. Caitlin Hall, you know, you have invested money and leadership in the Good News Club at Fur Elementary. Caitlin has heard the gospel, uh, has been a part of that Good News Club, and actually, I believe, spoke with Jerry Sullivan, and uh, speaking with Jerry, surrendered her life to Christ, and she's coming to make that public today. Caitlin, it's your public testimony that Jesus is Lord and Lord of your life? Yes. And upon your public profession of faith and upon his divine command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. Amen. Amen.
Nicole Dicer uh, grew up in another denomination. Uh, she's not coming today as a new believer. She grew up in a different tradition, was baptized according to that tradition. Uh, she became a Christian as a teenager, but she's coming today to be baptized uh, by immersion. Nicole, is it your public testimony that Jesus is Lord and Lord of your life? Then upon your public profession of faith and upon his divine command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. Four years ago, Charlotte Olmstead was at a service at one of our sister Baptist churches here in the Cabarrus Baptist Association, heard and understood the gospel and God's call upon her life and surrendered her life to Christ. And she's coming today to demonstrate that publicly through believer's baptism. Charlotte, is, your, is it your public testimony that Jesus is Lord and Lord of your life? Yes, sir. And upon your public profession of faith and upon his divine command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in the likeness of his death. Raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. And then finally today, Gil Olmstead. He, uh, he was baptized in a different denomination and tradition growing up. But Gil, in recent times, uh, has acknowledged the need to come back to the Lord and he wants to set the proper example as the spiritual leader before his family and be baptized by immersion. Gil, is it your public profession of faith that God, uh, Jesus is Lord and Lord of your life? Yes. And upon your public profession of faith and upon his divine command, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, buried him in the light likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray for these candidates, okay? Father, we thank you for these 11. What a joy to see them make this bold proclamation of their faith in Jesus Christ and their commitment to walk in the newness of life that he brings. Lord, help them to be rooted and grounded in the faith and to walk in a way that continually bears fruit to you and, Lord, shows uh, your good pleasure in them and your work of grace in their lives. So strengthen them and may each of us today be reminded of that day that we made this same commitment. May we examine our lives and Lord where there is a need that we come back to you God even now begin doing that work of restoration in our hearts. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You're not dismissed yet. I believe, John, is Jonathan coming or do we have, we've got a bagpipe player next who is, who is going, oh there he is, who is going to dismiss us with a song or two on the baptize, uh, bab, bagpipes, I'm tongue tangled, I'm sorry. Uh, but again folks, what a blessing to look out and see this crowd today. Uh, thank you for being here.
Amen. That's the Studemeyer's uh, son-in-law. Thank you. Uh, Studeville's. Thank you. Don and Patty. Thank you. You're dismissed.